Welcome to the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. I'm Robert Peterson, and I'm here to tell you about some of Bakersfield's most notorious crimes, events, and characters that have made an impact on the Central California Valley community. Are you ready to hear a notorious Bakersfield story? Good. Let's get started. If it's Tuesday, it's time for another Notorious Bakersfield story. Welcome to the 22nd episode of this podcast. Before jumping into the subject of this episode, I want to thank everyone who participated in the Notorious Bakersfield Halloween Tour. It was a huge success beyond whatever I anticipated or dreamed. So if you took the tour, recommended the tour, told friends about the tour, thank you, thank you, thank you. I will be organizing another tour similar to the Halloween tour, probably for Friday the 13th in May. So keep an eye out for that. And with the success of this Halloween tour, Notorious Bakersfield will be donating $500 to the Kern County Alliance Against Family Violence and Sexual Assault. Watch our social media pages for when I make that donation in the coming weeks. About 7.15 a.m. on October 25th, 1969, CHP officer Tom Cravens was patrolling in the vicinity of Highway 99 and Interstate 5 when he heard the radio dispatch for a child alone on the side of the freeway. Without hesitation, Officer Cravens notified the dispatcher that he'd go investigate. Oftentimes, police get calls that turn out to be entirely different than what they were originally reported as. And that's what Cravens expected this case to turn out to be. Whoever reported this child near the freeway probably didn't notice the parents nearby. Or the parents probably pulled off the freeway to take a nap and the child wandered over to the busy highway. When Cravens arrived on scene, he couldn't believe his eyes. A little girl between four and six years old laying down on the ground on the shoulder of the freeway, clinging to a chain link fence. This is the story of little Jody, abandoned on the freeway. The morning temperature was chilly, high 40s or low 50s. There wasn't much of a wind other than what was whipped up by passing traffic. Yet the young girl was only wearing a red jumper green tennis shoes, and a light sweater. When Officer Cravens tried picking up the shivering child, she wouldn't let go of the chain-link fence. He had to reach down to pry her fingers loose. Cravens lifted her up and cradled her close to his body. He immediately noticed she'd wet herself. Instinctively, to keep from soiling his uniform, the officer held the little girl away from his body. This girl wasn't shy about her feelings toward police. She told Cravens she wasn't afraid of police. In fact, she liked them. Officer Cravens wrote in his report of this incident that the little girl was unafraid, friendly, and talkative. He reported that she told him, I think my mommy's coming back. Kern County Sheriff's Lieutenant Otto Olofsson met Tom Cravens, noticing her shivering in the cold, Deputy Olofsson took off his Kern County Sheriff's 
uniform jacket and wrapped it around the little girl. Deputies and social workers set out trying to determine who she was and why she was left on the side of a busy freeway. This is the information the little girl told officials about herself. She was four years old. Her name was Jody Smith, and she lived in Bakersfield. But she told them her mommy told her to keep telling herself she lived in Bakersfield. Her parents' names, she said, were Ronnie and Betty Smith. She had two brothers, Timmy, age five, Jason, six months, and a sister, Rhonda, two years old. And she proudly announced they were getting a new baby soon. Her daddy had short, dark hair, and he drove an old black car. Her mommy didn't work because women weren't supposed to work. Her brothers and sisters were asleep in the back seat when her parents dropped her off on the side of the road and told her to stay there until a policeman came to get her. Her daddy told her police were good. This mysterious little girl named Jody seemed bright, more so than the four years of age she said she was. She freely engaged with any of the grown-ups who asked her all these questions. Jody really enjoyed the milk and donuts the deputies gave her to eat while they tried to get to the bottom of her mysterious story. Physically, she had black and blue marks on her arms and legs that she couldn't explain, and she walked with a noticeable limp. She was missing her two front teeth that she said were loosened when she fell off a bed, and her daddy pulled them out with pliers. That hurt, she said. I've learned this account isn't true. The true version is much worse. She was taken to Kern General Hospital for a physical. Naturally, sheriff's officials set out looking for anybody in Bakersfield with the last name Smith. They knocked on doors asking if these Smith families knew who this little Jody girl was. They had no luck whatsoever. Two days after her discovery, the Associated Press and the United Press International ran Little Jody's story accompanied with her picture. Newspapers across the country picked up the story. TV newscasts in just about every city in the U.S. led with this story about this mysterious little girl named Jody. The response was overwhelming from people who wanted to take in or adopt little Jody. But nobody was able to identify this little girl until about five days later. On October 29th, the Kern County Sheriff's Office received a call from a woman in Whittier, California, to report that this mysterious girl named Jody looked a lot like a girl she had babysat and whose family lived next door about a year prior. And that child's name was also Jody. Hoping an in-person meeting between this lady and Jody could help positively identify the little girl, the Kern County Sheriff's officials transported Jody to Whittier. Sure enough, the Whittier woman was able to positively identify Jody as her former next-door neighbor's child. With the information provided from this lady and with the help of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Office, the Kern County authorities were able to ascertain a possible address in Bell Gardens 
for Jody's family. With Jody in tow, Kern County and Los Angeles County officials traveled to Bell Gardens to pay a visit to this family. When authorities arrived at the Bell Gardens address, officials left Jody in the patrol car. The couple who answered the knock on the door invited the deputies in. Standing in the small home's living room, the couple denied having a little girl named Jody. While the couple was being questioned further, another deputy went out to the patrol car and escorted Jody into the house. Immediately upon seeing the couple, the little girl with the crooked smile that captured the hearts of a nation excitedly exclaimed, quote, That's my mommy and daddy, unquote. The couple stood in silence and blankly stared at the little girl. After that, if there was any doubt that this little girl belonged to this couple, it evaporated entirely when a little boy walked into the room and said, quote, Hi, Jody. Unquote. The couple was identified as 31-year-old Ronald Fouquet and his 26-year-old common-law wife, Betty Fouquet. On a side note, the state of California no longer recognizes common-law marriages. While Kern County deputies took the Fouquet couple into custody on suspicion of child abandonment and abuse charges, Los Angeles authorities took custody of the couple's other three children, Timothy, age six, Rhonda, age three, and Jason, 11 months. And surprise, Betty Fouquet was indeed pregnant. It was later determined that Jody was five years old rather than four, as she originally told Kern County officials. And she wasn't Ron Fouquet's a biological daughter. Jody and Timothy's father was from a previous marriage. Jody's last name was Lansdowne. While Ronald and Betty Fouquet were in custody in Kern County awaiting criminal proceedings, another mystery surrounding this couple came to light. As authorities questioned the children in the household, other relatives, and people who knew the Fouquets, it seems there was an older child named Jeffrey, who was unaccounted for. As you can imagine, this became a huge story, not only in Bakersfield, but nationwide. And the Fouquet couple refused to tell officials the boy's whereabouts. Bakersfield media outlets be began a campaign directed at Betty Fouquet's defense attorney, James Bowles. Caffey Radio in Bakersfield broadcast this message on November 11, 1969 at 6 p.m. The same message was broadcast every hour for 24 hours. Quote, an open letter to Jim Bowles, attorney for Betty Lansdowne Fouquet, the mother of little Jeffrey Lansdowne, Mr. Bowles. Kathy understands the time-honored attorney-client relationship and the fact that you have advised Mrs. Fouquet not to answer any questions concerning the whereabouts of little eight-year-old Jeffrey. Mr. Bowles, a little boy's life might be at stake. You were quoted over the weekend as saying you did not think Mrs. Fouquet knew the whereabouts of Jeffrey. Mr. Bowles, let a mother answer for herself. 
If, indeed, her answers were, would incriminate her, then ask her yourself during one of your confidential client discussions, and you, Mr. Bowles, institute some kind of action to find Jeffrey. Whatever happens, Mr. Bowles, no one is more responsible for the fact that Jeffrey cannot be found than you are. Act now, Mr. Bowles. Allow Mrs. Fouquet to answer the question, where is Jeffrey? Unquote. Betty Fouquet broke her silence and struck a plea deal with prosecutors. Betty Fouquet confirmed what her children had already told investigators, that on September 15, 1966, almost three years prior to abandoning Jody on the freeway in Bakersfield, five-year-old Jeffrey Lansdowne died from injuries he suffered from continued abuse by Ronald Fouquet. With the information obtained from Betty Fouquet, authorities determined that Jeffrey's body was discovered by a hunter at the bottom of a canyon in Saugus, California, about a month after he died. From 1966, his body remained unidentified until Betty Fouquet's confession in 1969. At Ron Fouquet's murder trial, Betty Fouquet testified that her son Jeffrey died after suffering weeks of physical abuse from her common-law husband. She claims Ronald stomped on the boy's stomach so hard, Jeffrey said he wanted to die. Ronald Fouquet responded to this by telling the boy to go ahead and die. Fouquet sat on the couch, drank beer, and watched cartoons. By the next morning, five-year-old Jeffrey was dead. Betty Fouquet pled guilty to the charges for her role she played in abandoning her daughter Jody on the side of the freeway. In 1971, Betty Fouquet was sentenced to one to ten years in prison. After serving 15 months, Betty Fouquet was paroled from the Fontana State Prison. Little Jody's biological father was given custody of her and two of her other siblings. The other two half-siblings were adopted. As for Ronald Fouquet, a jury found him guilty of murdering Jeffrey and sentenced him to death. After he was sentenced, Los Angeles Deputy District Attorney Stephen Kay said, quote, If you think the death penalty is a valid penalty, and I do in some cases, this case is definitely a death penalty case. With the state of capital punishment these days, Fouquet might never, ever be executed, but he'll never be released from prison, unquote. You didn't think that was the end of the story, did you? No, no, it's not. Ronald Fouquet was able to win a new trial. Leading up to this new trial, he made a plea deal where he'd plead guilty to second-degree murder, and he was sentenced to 15 years to life. With second-degree murder, the twice-convicted murderer was eligible for parole after three years. 
Ronald Fouquet, the man who murdered a five-year-old boy by stomping on him, was released from prison. Through some research, I've been able to determine he died only a few years ago, probably within the last five or ten years. I was able to talk to Jody, the little girl who lived through this nightmare and was abandoned on the freeway in 1969. Little Jody is now Grandma Jody. That interview will be next week's episode of the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. I think you'll be as surprised as I was about how much Jody remembers from her experience of being abandoned on the side of a freeway when she was just five years old. Jody is a survivor. There's no denying that. And you'll hear about that next week. Resources used for researching this episode were the Bakersfield Californian, caselaw.com, Lansdow versus People, the Oakland Tribune, the Los Angeles Times, the Van Nuys Valley News, and little Jody herself. Tune in next week where you will hear in this survivor's own words this extraordinary, harrowing experience she endured. This is Robert Peterson. Wishing you a good rest of your week, and we'll see you back here next Tuesday.